We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the second day of November, the year of our Lord 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Weston. Bruce might be joining us later on, but we're not sure. It's entirely possible that he could be out the entire show. We don't really know, but we hope that he does join us. In the meantime, it's just going to be the two of us. Weston, you weren't with us last week. How are you this week? I'm doing great this week. Certainly last week was hectic because I was on a you know trip to help a friend and it ended up, you know, the schedule was so tight. That we only had five days of doing. We were driving a really long ways, and uh, that uh, basically had no, I couldn't do anything but drive. And so, if you're wondering, so for the folks wondering why there wasn't a purpose made people clip on Wednesday, it was because you know I was I was away, and, and Melissa's always busy, and you know she's she you know inter interacting with listeners is her top priority, and also she has tons of other things to do in the background. So she uh, you know so basically, if I'm not there, the Wednesday clip doesn't get posted. I'm sorry about that, but this week tomorrow. Or I guess it will be the same day that this talk is posted on our cuttingthroughthematrix.com. We will have a Purpose Made People clip, and, and God willing, we will have a, continue to regularly post those on Wednesday. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. And, of course, you listed the website, and I failed to mention it. See, you broke the habit. Well, I need to remember week. to do it myself. I, I need to <laughs> start remembering to do it myself. I got to take, it, I gotta take yeah. care of myself, you know. So, no, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to go over there and take a look at all of the collected works that you guys have of the late, great Alan Watts. It is fantastic information for people to attain this day and age. And speaking of that, uh, would you like to talk about what you've been working on this week or what has been worked on this week by you and the team? Yeah. So Melissa and I, we had uh, worked on a, um, or we had you know, decided to repost a July 18, 2007 talk that Alan gave, or blurb, I should say, is what he calls them, which is it's just an educational talk is what he, Alan uses the word blurb. And it was a very interesting, important talk. It was called Nothing New Under the Sun. And in that talk, he uh, read from a, a, a article in Cosmopolitan magazine, which was owned by Randolph Hearst, and by Lord Birkenhead, you know, a hereditary British lord. In that article, you know, he talks about what the world's going to be like in 2029. And the only, and basically, it's pretty spot on, you know, as far as the agenda goes, except for, of course, you're only going to work two hours a day and energy is going to be cheap. That's, that's the two parts that diverge right. from reality. We're working longer and than we ever have, and energy's more right. expensive than it's ever been. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but so besides saying that you're only going to work, you know, two hours a day and, you know, five days a week, so about 10 hours a week, and also uh, that uh, energy's going to be super cheap. Other than that, I mean, the article's pretty spot on. Go coal mining is going to be abolished, which, you know, it's already well, you know, countries are, are pretty well banning coal. Tidal what, energy from the oceans and energy from solar and wind. Uh, it's going to be used. There's going to be, uh, you know, increasingly, you know, parents are going to screen the children to make sure that they don't have any genetic predispositions for illnesses and predispositions to be quarrelsome. I think Lord Birkenhead specifically mentioned 
an article which Alan like hopped on that. You're like, yeah, they're going to make sure that you're not going to be a troublemaker for the authorities. Yeah. So already, like Melissa linked an article, I think a couple weeks ago, to Israel, Israel Times, where they were talking about pre-implantation genetic testing uh, for like polygenic, you know, uh, predispositions. So like, you know, like multiple genes might affect whether or not you have a predisposition to diabetes or heart disease or what have you. And they're actually already got this, you know, they claim it's much more accurate than the whatever testing kind of genetic testing they had before for, you know, pregnant uh, women you know, on their future baby and whether or not they're going to be predisposed for certain illnesses. You know, so they've already got that up and, and they're hoping I, I think they're, they're they haven't quite got it in Israel, but I think they actually already started in China, that sort of thing. I think you said in the article. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the so the genetic screenings up, the ectogenesis, I, they've, I, we've linked to articles on com before of, you know, researchers studying this. In fact, one of the researchers, you know, a woman researcher was saying that it's unfair that women have to carry around the baby in their womb. You know, it's, you know, it's not, we need to make this fair. And so we got to have ectogenesis. That way, you know, women can be, don't have to, you know, have that burden, that unfair burden because men don't have to do that, you know. These people are insane. Um, you realize that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is insane. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, they're very serious and they actually have a lot of money, whereas I don't. And a lot of other people yeah. who are saying don't, you know, so yeah, you're, you you're have talking, to watch out for them. Yeah, you're, you're talking about these people doing these genetic tests. You, you're mentioning the t uh, article that you guys posted about out of the um, uh, the Times of Israel. Mm -hmm. And it's it's funny. They're doing those genetic tests and we just miraculously have been testing a genetic editing tool over the last year and a half called a COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah. And uh, I mean, really, you read the articles and they say that the CRISPR technology, the, the gene editing technology is now so cheap that even easy to use, even a graduate student can use it. And so they claim there's going to be like a revolution in biotechnology and bioengineering where, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of people can create their own little organisms, I guess, and maybe even modify themselves and other people. Um, so this is, you know, quite uh, horrifying because really... What they're saying is that, see, we can't control it, so that we're not going to, you know, even bother regulating it. And they certainly haven't bothered regulating the COVID-19 vaccine, really. They're just like, okay, go ahead. It's a vaccine. Obviously, the only way to, to treat an illness or to prevent an illness from spreading is to have a vaccine. That's clearly the only option. There's, we've never right. heard of any other yeah. way of doing it. Sure. And so, <laughs> I mean, that's the official narrative. And it's insane. And in fact, if it, Alan was saying... Well, I forget which talk it was, but it was, it was years ago, obviously. I think it was a long time ago. But like he was saying that if you look into like the different shots that they had back in the early 20th century, you look into the data, none of these vaccines that they came out with worked. In fact, no. more people who, who got the shot, you know, died than, you know, of the illness than uh, the people who didn't get the shot. So, you know, it's, it, it's there's a long yeah. history of this, I, of I this think... vaccine issue. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to go another way once we get to a certain point, because like we're we're still somehow or another being uh, pushed this agenda by like the Bill Gateses and the WHO and, and things like that, that, oh, this is the way to do things. And and with this new system, make no mistake about it, this new system that they want to bring in this digital whatever it is, this digital gulag, uh, for lack of a better term. But this this world that they want to bring in, that's all going to be part of it. You're going to have to take these whatever injections that they throw on you in order to participate in society. Like that's mm -hmm. that's not optional. I don't think people right. quite understand that. The whole yeah. idea of the COVID thing and the COVID passport, that was just a beta test, in my humble opinion. That, that was just right. a start to get you into that system, to get you used to the idea 
And then now they're going to make it mandatory because we never admit fault when something doesn't work. We double down and we make it worse. And there's going to be other medical reasons and other not just medical, but financial and so on tracking associated with this passport idea. And also, um, I should mention, too, that uh, Awake in the Dream, which is a 2009 documentary made by uh, a Norseman, he calls himself. It was an independent Norseman. Actually, Melissa knows his real name, but or the name of the man who made it, but I don't. Yeah, he made this documentary. You know, Alan didn't like some things in it, so I just cut out some things that Alan didn't like out of it and, and posted it. But in that documentary, I think it was the second part of it, he talks about this, you know swine flu pandemic that was going on at the time. You know, it's from 2009. He's saying, you know, back then they were trying to get, you know, the shot, not only of the flu vaccine that, you know, require everybody to take it, but also to get boosters every year. And you, I was saying, you know, that's, that's, that is the agenda. That's what, you know, they're going to do. And we actually, lo and behold, we actually had that. We had like the fifth booster to run now. It's only been tested on mice. Yeah, uh, and I so, think you know, 80% of them died. I think. And, and of course, and if you read the articles in the media, they're going to, they, they tell you that you have to have this bivalent booster. And you're going to have to continually have boosters each year. That's the solution. They, they say even though none of the, it's, it, it hasn't solved anything. I mean, the, the, the disease still spreads. People still get the disease. Walensky got COVID-19 recently, I think, even after she's been boosted and vaccinated uh, fully. Yeah, it's actually out today yeah. that she has COVID again. She had it about 10 days ago and she had it again. She took the mm-hmm. Pfizer drug Paxlovid or whatever it's called, and she's had a rebound. So now she's got COVID again. So now she's going to have to go for another 14 days or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Are you familiar with what happened in the European Parliament when they sat down and they questioned the uh, the Pfizer execs? I You did show me the clip where they questioned one of the Pfizer execs and she said, no, we did not test it. The, yes, test that's to see the if it, Yeah, that's uh, the one. I couldn't remember who played it for you. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I forget the politician's name in the EU Parliament, but he like he was you know, promising they're going to do something about it like politicians do. And we commented at the time, Bruce and I, I think, that, uh, yeah, these politicians aren't going to do anything about it, you know, I mean, because, I mean, look at Pfizer now. I mean, it's it's a, over $100 billion company or something. It's ridiculous. And they've just increased, recently increased the price, of, or they're going to soon, increase the price size of the COVID vaccine by uh, 400% to like $110, $130 per jab, where it used to be like $30 per jab. So they're really going to try and make bank after, you know, their emergency use authorization ends. And part of the reason why, at least in the article I read that Melissa sent me, it was Melissa, I give her credit, that the article that she sent me said the reason why they're doing that is because they know that the uptake, like less people are going to get the vaccine in the future. And so they need to adjust the cost of it in order so they can make the same profit that they were hoping to get. Or, you know, something, you know, completely just greedy and self-serving and, and not in the interest of the general public at all. And... uh and now they've added it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but last week the uh, the FDA voted unanimously, as in 16 or it's like 15 or 16 to zero. No one objected. No one even abstained. Uh-huh. This will now be added to the list of required vaccinations for children to attend school in the United States. Oh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I remember that part, too. Yeah, that's awful. And uh, we're doing it to ourselves. And then yeah, childhood back. I mean, there, there's, I think the United States is like one of the most inoculated countries in the world. I don't think other countries that require anywhere near as much as we do. No, they don't. In the U.S. And well, I, what, what can you do? I mean, that is religious exemption. If you go move to a state that, has, that still has religious exemptions, but then even then, they're, they're talking about removing religious exemptions. And in fact, when I was in university and I got a vaccine exemption. They actually told they the way they worded it when they accepted my exemption was well, okay, you don't have to take the shot. Hang on a second. You don't have to take the shot. 
I'm just curious. You you had to go through like they asked you for your vaccination record to go to university. Yeah. Really? I never yeah, it depends on or like the yeah, like it, it depends on which university you go to. Oh, I but see. Like on the one of the ones, yeah, I went to. Yeah, and and they uh, and so I uh, they said, okay, you have to get this, this, and this shots. And I said, okay, I'm going to be religiously exempt. So I did. But they, but the way they when they when they replied back to me, what they said was, is okay, you don't have to take the shots yet. So what does that? I mean, that tells you basically that in the university, at some level, they're discussing. Okay, we need to get rid of these religious exemptions. We need to force these people to take the shots, you know, because it's not fair that just because they have different beliefs from everybody else, they, they don't have to take the shots, you know, which is... Um, yeah, that's just that's scary. crazy. That is. And, yeah. you know, if you if you look at the amount of exemptions that we've got, even in our own armed forces, a lot of the religious exemptions, or at least the ones that applied for them, weren't granted them. And they either had to take a discharge or they had to get it. And now they're either permanently disabled or permanently damaged or, or, or something, or, or maybe they didn't have an adverse reaction of any kind. Maybe they didn't have that. Yet. 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 It could happen Yet. years later. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And how is that? There's a new Swiss study that's out. Uh, Bruce and I were, were kind of going over this roughly last night. I don't know if we're going to have a chance to get to it today, but I will just mention on the surface what it is. A Swiss doctor and a Swiss team did a test of 777 candidates, all of whom were fully mm -hmm. vaccinated. Okay, all of them. They were all fully vaccinated, 777. They also did a control group of unvaccinated people, just for comparison, right? So, you, I mean, you got to have mm -hmm. that if you're going to do a proper take on things. So they had the control group of unvaccinated people. 100% of the group was, uh, the control group was unvaccinated. 100% of the test group, the subject group, was 100% fully vaccinated boosters and all the rest. It doesn't matter. They at least had two, right? They at least had mm -hmm. two, which was the initial whatever they said. You mean two and shots, it was a two boosters? Correct. Yeah, it wasn't two boosters. But yeah, it was just the original, like just the two, two shots. Shot. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter. It was a mixed bag of Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, &J, AstraZeneca, whatever, right? It was it was a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really matter. It, it didn't matter the brand or, or whatever it was that they took. 100% of the vaccinated group. So all of them, 777 of them, every single one of them, had elevated levels of what is called troponin in their blood. What is troponin? Troponin is a protein that is released by a damaged cardiac muscle, so your heart. Now, the normal levels in the human body are 0 to 0 0.4 nanograms per milliliter in your blood, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the normal because, I mean, some people can have little, you know, mild strokes or a mild heart attack or something or have some kind of cardiac issue or, you know, um, a uh, some, some type of uh, carditis, you know, pericarditis, myocarditis, uh, endocarditis, any of the ditises or whatever they're called, which will cause you mm -hmm. to have damage to your cardiac system, which will cause that protein to be developed and released into your bloodstream. The problem is, is that it's so low that usually no one ever tests for it. So it's not really commonplace. Right. The vaccinated people, now mind you, these were people that didn't have any adverse reactions whatsoever. They had no adverse reactions. So it was just, oh yeah, I got my vaccine, everything, everything's fine, no problem, no issues. When they examined the troponin levels in the vaccinated people, as in 100% of them, they found the levels to be anywhere between 25 and 60 nanograms per milliliter in their blood. Anything over 0.5 nanograms per milliliter is considered high. If this gives you any indication of what we're going to see down the road, the amount of, and, uh, of troponin that's in these, these people's bloodstreams right. now 
that's game changing in my humble opinion. And the reason that's wow. game changing is because we haven't up until now, we have not had a scientific way to prove whether or not someone has actually been injured without actually showing some type of physical symptom. We haven't been able to figure that out yet. And so mm -hmm. this, to me, if you're concerned about this, if you, or if you have a family member or a friend who is concerned about this because of everything that's now coming out about it, that they covered up, that they lied to you about, if you're concerned about this and you want to find out for yourself, then you're going to have to do a, a blood screening. You're going to have to go through a blood test and your doctor or GP or, or whoever can do that for you. However, you have to specifically tell them to screen for that protein. And if you don't, then the standard screening process, they're just not going to look for it because you're not a cardiac patient. If anybody goes through any kind of like cardiac care or something, obviously they're going to screen for that because that's part of your blood workup and they have to pay attention to that. But if you're not, if you've never had any kind of cardiac issues or you don't have a history of heart disease in your family or some type of genetic defect or, or something, they're not going to screen for it. So you're going to have to specifically request it. Mm -hmm. So, but like I said, in my opinion, that's game changing because we haven't had yeah, a way to tell up until now. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to, to know to look for. You know what to look for is a good thing to, to actually try and you know, find from people. But one tidbit, now that I'll just talk about, you know, damage to cardiac muscles and myocarditis being associated with the vaccine and so on, has reminded me this, all these heart issues, especially in young people, may not have started with COVID-19, at least, or with the COVID-19 vaccines, at least according to Alan Watt, he claimed to have known some people involved in organ harvesting. And he, he was saying that they were saying that uh, they didn't accept, you know, hearts, you know, for, you know, for heart transplants. They didn't accept hearts from people under 30 because they had like little chinks in their heart. And this was before 2020. This was before Interesting. any COVID-19 vaccines were out. Oregon so I'm wondering, you know, this is big, part of That's a big industry behind the scenes. That's a big black market industry around the world. Right, right. I've heard some incredible stories about that. But yeah, I mean, if you think, if that's true, I need to, maybe, maybe there is some article I could dig up or something. But yeah, Alan mentioned, you know, these, there's something that's been done to young people's hearts. And uh, so it was years ago. And so I'm wondering, okay, maybe, we, maybe there's some, uh, articles or studies or something we could i could dig up i don't know i haven't looked into it yet i need to look at that thanks that art study that you brought that swiss study you just brought up reminded me i probably should look into that that would be very interesting because maybe this is part of a larger you know thing that we don't even we don't even realize what's been done to us i mean certainly i mean certainly if you look at like the male sperm count for example i mean that's been gradually over decades it's been lowered by over 50 percent in the western countries and you know this is not discussed and this is not you know we're not informed that this is happening to us that you know uh, that we're you know our ability our fertility is just you know, our ability to uh, uh, produce sperm is just you know being decimated. Um, it's just sort of quietly being done, and so you, the, maybe the hearts as well. You know, COVID nineteen is just one. You know, it's a large step, but it's just one, just the next phase of a, something that has been started. You know, years ago, um, with through other means. So, anyways, uh, I'll, no, I'll stop speculating. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's speculation. No, it's uh, and I. I was actually going to expand upon that if you don't mind. Uh, uh -huh. And that's oh, okay. That's, if you got something to add, please do. I well, I do because I, uh -huh. I I find it fascinating how people don't connect these things. As in, like it all ties back to depopulation, right? It's that depopulation agenda that's that's pushed by the the upper classes, right? It all comes mm -hmm. back to that, and it's a it's a multifaceted attack against people, most notably here in the West. Everything 
is about depopulation. This crazy, uh, woke, uh, LGBT stuff, like this madhouse, that's all depopulation. Yeah. This anti-family stuff, the abortion racket, like you were talking about, the uh, the chemicals in the food and the water to reduce sperm counts, this, uh, uh, whatever this is, uh, th this COVID uh, jab has been linked to fertility problems as well. I mean, every yeah. single thing, when you look at it, is linked to this. Everything is linked to that. And I, I remember I remember reading, I want to say it was like uh, like 10 years ago, that a lot of this stuff was coming from the United Nations. As in, they were promoting behind the scenes all of these different baskets of, of different agendas, and it was all pushed towards the same thing. And it, it's, it's incredible to me how people don't make the connection. It's like when somebody brings up a, a question or, or a, a point and they say, Oh my goodness! This COVID jab is giving women fertility problems. It's giving men fertility problems. Uh, yeah. Okay. Have you looked at all these other things that are connected to Rockefeller's that? Rockefeller's golden rights. Yeah, yeah, golden rights or Rockefeller and so on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you have you looked at these people that push that that kind of agenda? Do you pay any attention to that? And then like that's where you lose them most of the time. That's where you lose them. They say, oh no, that's just crazy stuff. Well, wait a minute. If I yeah. would have told you this a, a month ago, you wouldn't have believed it. But like, like they just people have selective uh, selective learning, mm -hmm. I guess. It's like they they see yeah. part of something, but they don't want to walk further behind that curtain and take a look at how bad the rest of it is. They, they just don't want to see it. And they just they, yeah, like they, they can't they can't process just how evil this is, is, is my point. Yeah, they default. They uh, they uh, you know, they think, OK, this must just be a select few a handful of bad people out of greed have, you know, pushed this bad vaccine. But obviously, overall, the world's a good, great place because they had nice parents who took care of them and you know, they had nice teachers in school and so on. And so they know that, you know, there's, there's you know, so too many good people in the world to, you know, allow such evil to, take, to continue over, you know, course of decades or centuries. There's no way that could have happened. That's sort of the default position that people have. And so they, they'll wake up for 9-11 or they'll wake up for COVID, but they'll never, you know, actually go back and into history and look okay this is you know how many you know how long has this agenda been pushed and how how many things have happened over the years that have actually you know pressed us along pressed the general public along this agenda and sort of herded them stampeded them i guess i should say in, into a certain direction because because you know once you realize that it's it's scary and you know but at first especially but it's you know, I think it's a part of, I think this is, all, this is like a talk that I think we posted three weeks ago where Alan was talking with callers about the fallen nature or the psychopathic culture. We sort of, um, you know, humanity, you know, has certain psychopathic tendencies that are sort of in the present culture of today, it's, it's sort of emphasized and encouraged. And I have, uh, you know, in my own family, you know, I had people who were more wealthier and even like they didn't they really make you feel nasty if you're not, you know, performing up to expectations of middle class or whatever. They really are hammer you. And they didn't they didn't get you know wealthier than, you know, my my parents than by being, you know, nice. And so that's just a small fry. I mean, if you imagine like someone actually running the system, the eugenicists pronouncing people that are, you know, did not their lives aren't worth living because they didn't, you know, attain a certain level of education like Julian Huxley did in that one passage I read. I mean, you realize that these people really mean what they say, and they, they certainly are acting uh, on what they believe and what they think is good and so on. And it's it's uh, complete mayhem and horror and uh, destitution, tyranny for, for the general public. And uh, in my opinion, it's just yeah. in my in my professional opinion, when someone uh -huh. tells you openly that they're going mm -hmm. to kill you, you take them at their word. Yeah. 
Especially if you're not, I mean, like maybe there's a previous history and, and you know that they, they've made threats before like that and they hadn't made good on it. But like if it's just some stranger, or like especially someone in position of military power or position of, you know, just public power or political power, I should say. I mean, you have to, there's no reason for someone in that sort of position to lie about something like that because... In fact, actually, it's a great demerit on their part if they if they were lying about it because you know it doesn't do them any good. Whereas if they actually mean it, then it does do them good because then they, because then they can legally legalistically say, okay, see, we informed people that uh, you know we were going to sterilize you know so much percentage of the population or that we think that you know abortion should be forced or sterilization should be forced, and you know the the general public just doesn't know what's what's good for them, so we can't really you know go up to them and get their consent and convince them. You know, we just have to do it. You know behind their backs sort of thing. I mean, once they've stated that in these books that nobody bothered to read, it's not your own fault for not reading it. It's not your own fault for not taking it seriously. And so that's very legalistic. And that's part of the reason why, you know, uh, people, that's part of what you know, halts the backlash is that people are so caught up in the present culture. And in that talk that we posted, I think it was three or four weeks ago now, you know, he talked about, you know, it's a psychopathic culture we live in because uh, all these different things that we buy to enjoy ourselves, whether it be Xboxes or iPads or what have you. If you look into how these things are manufactured, there's lots of misery and suffering. In fact, Alan had linked to over 10 years ago, I think it was now. But he'd linked to, you know, an article talking about the mass suicides that happened at the Foxconn factories that are making these Apple products and these Nintendo products. And I forget what else. Maybe Sony products. I forget. Yeah, I've I've actually I've seen videos. I've seen videos Mm -hmm. from from people in China that take that stuff and they've got the nets Mm -hmm. outside. So people because people were going up on the rooftops, you know, getting away from being chained down at their desk for 16 hours. And they were going up on the rooftop. They were just throwing themselves off the off the top of the, the thing, the, the building. But this, and this is what goes into all these different products that you buy to make yourself happy in the present system. I mean, it's horrible. But, uh, you know, people, because they can, especially in the United States and other developed countries, because they, they can, you know, if they, if they have a good work, work ethic and they uh, already come from a family that at least has you know, a little bit of money, maybe they're not rich, but they have you know, some money, they can get a, you know, a good job and you know, they can buy all these things to make themselves happy and never look deeply into the system. And that's just, you know, part of that not caring and not being inquisitive and not, you know, uh, wanting to, you know, they're not caring about, you know, how they're, what they do affects others. That's just, a, you know, a part of a psychopathic culture that uh, is, or been sort of cultivated over many, many years now. I, I like how you put it, the psychopathic culture. That's very yeah. accurate, especially where we are now. You know, I, on that, on that, and th- this is a question that I posed last week, and maybe we can kind of segue here on that point, because to do all of these things, right, to, to alter society and to create these these groups with uh, with these agendas that carry out this, these horrible, horrible plans for, for society, you've got to have money. You've got to have a system yeah. to channel that money. And yeah. that's where your central banking cartels come in. Mm-hmm. We're facing an unprecedented situation here. In uh, in my humble opinion, just based on my own research uh, of of just civilizations, we're mm-hmm. looking at a financial and an economic and a supply chain disaster, the likes of which the human species has not dealt with before on this level, as in yeah. like a global scale. We're we're looking at a financial collapse, you know, credit crisis, wh- whatever you want to call it, a mortgage crisis, something. We're looking at a financial yeah, consumer collapse. debt is just uh, you know off the charts. Oh, it's it's off the charts. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. We're looking at a bond problem. We're looking at a devalued currency. We're looking at hyperinflation. We're looking at broken supply lines. And we're looking at an energy crisis on top of all this. 
And don't forget agriculture as well. Lots of small farmers yes. being put out because, uh, you know, yeah. the government is increasing regulations on them and they can't, you know, the small farmer can't keep up. Small farmers is what can really what helped people survive during the Great Depression, or at least to, you know, to a large extent. Yeah. All the small farmers and other small businesses as well. That is and true. If you don't have those, and we've just got rid of those with the COVID lockdowns and also for years and years, decades, farmers have been kicked off, uh, basically pushed out of the business by the big agri-food businesses and all these impossible regulations to, to follow if you're just a small guy, if you're just an individual. Yeah, when a crisis hits or when an economic downturn hits, we don't have that, you know, that safety net to fall back on of people who can actually take care of themselves and grow their food and have livestock and, and so on that they can rely on and share with other people. And also other small businesses as well that keep things going despite whatever meltdowns are going on in the, uh, you know, with the big, you know, Freddie, Freddie May and, and Freddie Mac or whatever, you know, whatever, or Goldman Sachs or whoever is, is yeah. having this financial downturn, Lehman Brothers or, you know, et cetera. So because we don't have this sort of safety net of smaller farmers, smaller businesses, small and pop stores, the, the crisis can be hit us a lot worse than the Great Depression did. Yeah. And in fact, basically, I was, I know a lot of people, I think, have thought that, uh, you know, the COVID lockdowns, like did the, what happened then, that was going to, we've passed the worst of it now that the lockdowns are over, which they're not even over and, to, and depends on where you are you still. I think in Shanghai, I think they had to lock down people in Disney World or something. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the reason. city of Wuhan, the epicenter of all of this huh? uh, nonsense, right. Wuhan locked down 800,000 just the other day. It's not over. So they're still locking down people, but they're on top of that, you know, the supply chain issues aren't solved. There's the energy supply crisis, especially in Europe in particular, but... Also, to a certain extent, in the United States, and it's largely of our political making because of all the regulations and all the pushing for no coal, all the pushing of uh, windmills. I, as I was driving through Texas, you know, on my trip last week, I saw tons and tons of these windmills, and they were all flashing these red lights at night. And it's, it's just like, oh, they look ugly not only during the day, that they made them ugly at night, my friends. said. And I was like, that's so true. Uh, you know, it's just these huge blades, you know, you're whirling away. I guess they're actually, the wind. They're actually tearing and, them down here because they found a coal deposit underneath one of them. So they need to tear down the windmill so they can mine the coal to power the electric cars. That's in Germany? Yes. Yeah. Well, good for them. Well, yeah. actually, not, not good because they shouldn't be powering electric cars. That's a huge waste of energy. Yeah, it's a waste <laughs> but, of time. But um, yeah. let's let's stick with the uh, let, let's stick with the uh, the banking agenda here because th this is fascinating uh -huh. to me, right? You mentioned COVID. Okay, we played this clip last week, uh -huh. but we mentioned you mentioned COVID and and the steps that were that were taken rather than the steps that shouldn't have been taken. And I wholeheartedly concur with you. The central banks decided we're going to print money while the mm -hmm. economies are closed, because that's a great idea and that's never been a problem or anything. We're going to give you your stimulus business. checks. Yeah. 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 We're going to give you businesses. stimulus checks. We're going to we're going to pay you <laughs> not to work. Uh, who thought this was a good idea? And it goes to, like I'm, I'm going to play these these clips here and I'm going to ask you a question that I was asking on the podcast last week. And it's a valid question. I would love to hear your take and how you would see an answer to that question, because mm -hmm. you're very well researched in that area when it comes to these, these central banks and the history of these people. But this is Lord Mervyn King. He's a former governor of the Bank of England. He was on the BBC talking about what the central banks did and what they've now lost control of. And it's their own fault. It's not ours. We're going to have to pay for it, 
but it's their fault. They're the ones that should have to be stuck with this bill. But something tells me, because of the answer that he gave, he's not going to be invited back on that network. And central banks have lost control of inflation. Governments lost control of the public finance. Not surprising that markets respond to that. And whose responsibility was it then, if both the central bank and the government lost control? Well, I think all, all central banks in the West, interestingly, made the same mistake. And during COVID, when the economy was actually contracting because of lockdown, central banks decided it was a good time to print a lot of money. That was a mistake. That led to inflation. We had too much money chasing too few goods. And the result was inflation. That was predictable. It was predicted and it happened. Uh, that's kind of economics 101. Yeah. Well, they they always, they pretend that, uh, you know, they're just sort of fumbling along. And especially in Britain, uh, Alan pointed this out a lot, number of times. They're very good at playing dumb there and, and fumbling along. So that that's clip you just played just now was kind of surprising. Where he actually said, yeah, they, it was predicted and yeah, they knew what was yeah, going to happen. Because that's a rare admit. I mean, normally, normally they just say, well, we were too dumb and it was complicated and uh, we didn't know what we were doing sort of thing. But yeah, it's... Uh, they really, I mean, basically, right as you're in lockdown and businesses are forced to be closed and, you know, basically in the economy, you know, the stock market tanked and all that. Right as they do that, they start, they start to kick up the, they hit the inflation engine on. I mean, that's clearly coordinated. And all, the, like he said, all central banks do the same thing. They have the bank for international settlements that they all meet at. It's not an actual bank, but like it's a like a meeting place where yeah, they discuss funny. what they're going to do. It's gonna not do. an actual bank. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. It's they call yeah, it yeah, it's the just bank a, of international settlements, and it's not even a bank. Yeah, and they they meet and discuss what they're going to do. So I mean, like literally, you had central bankers from all over the world say, okay, there's gonna, there's a lockdown. All sorts of businesses are closed, and there's not many there's not many goods in circulation. What should we do? Oh yeah, let's let's print lots of money. Let's let's yeah, let's inflation. Print a whole bunch. Yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> I'm sure they're doing. Public will greatly benefit from that, you know. <laughs> but you know, it's, but uh, did they know? Now, see, but maybe, maybe, see, Weston, maybe you're just not seeing things clearly, right? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm not seeing things clearly. This that you see on the screen here. This is Christine Lagarde. She is the head of the European Central Bank. Uh, by the way, she mm -hmm. was also the head of the European Central Bank during, well, right before the 2008 crisis. She was on TV last week, and I, I apologize for the uh, the audio quality on this, but uh, I, honestly, I don't think it's going to matter once you hear what she has to say. What uh -huh. happened with the central banks? What, what happened with inflation? We do that out of pleasure. Mm. We do it because we are fighting. We do it because we are fighting inflation. Oh. Inflation has um, just pretty much come about from nowhere. We had been fighting deflation, so when prices were going down, 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 trying to bring them to a steady level so that people knew about stability. And then as a result of speedy plus the energy crisis caused by Mr. Putin, who's decided uh, in an unjustifiable way to invade another country. Yeah. Uh, see, they're fighting inflation. They're, they're fighting for you. They're fighting for me. They're fighting for the average consumer and the average citizen out there. You see, they're fighting this stuff. It's really, it's just come out of nowhere. They don't know what happened. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> that Putin that invaded uh, another country. Yeah. And it's, uh, and, and Christine... Lagarde, here's another interesting side note. I mean, it's not directly relevant to what we're talking about, but she was also head of the IMF. Yes, and when she, she was head of the IMF, yes, she, was. she uh, said that, uh, you know, as soon as the United States is no longer the big, no longer has the biggest GDP, the IMF is going to shift headquarters out of here. And, uh, yeah, and I thought that was really ironic because, uh, you know, if, you know, for, well, first of all, the fact that the United States was the principal funder and sort of kickstarted the IMF as well as the, all the other UN 
institutions and umbrella organizations. Because U.S. is the one country that people look to the most when they say, "Okay, we need a a country that's going to overcome this agenda and finally get us some, you know, freedom and prosperity and so on." They look to a lot of people; they're the most hopeful in the U.S. And the U.S. is the one that's primary, the primary funder of all this monstrosities. And uh, and of course, so you think, okay, well, at least we have some sort of special status. We have clout because we're you know we're the U.S. and we've been we were spending the most money on all these things. They're like, no, you have no special status at all. And in fact, as soon as you're not no longer the biggest economy. We're out of here. And so I thought that was a little interesting uh, side note about it. And I think it was Christine Lagarde who was the one who said that. I mean, it might have yeah. been no, you said that before. But you're you know. right. And I need to correct myself. I said she was the head of the European Central Bank at the 2008 mm-hmm. crisis. That was incorrect. You are right. She was the head of the IMF at the time. Really? Only back then? Yeah. Was it uh, Dominic yeah. Strauss-Kahn or... I believe it was Strauss-Kahn. Well, yeah. There was the, the, the was like, and then then yeah. then Lagarde came, came in. in. I think yeah, she that. came in. Yeah. She she left. She she went to. I think she. I could be wrong. She went to run the Central Bank of France for a time period uh, for uh-huh. for a period of time. Like I think it was like two or three years, and then she went to the ECB after that. I think I, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. These people jump around in these places all the time. Like I don't know if you uh, if you heard the uh, the NATO Secretary General right now, Jens Stoltenberg. His next job. Mm-hmm. He's already been given the next job. His next job is going mm-hmm. to be the head of the Central Bank of Norway. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They're stopping so around. And again, like they, they claim it's so complicated and that you need to, you know, they just, right. it's, uh, you know, it's all hard right. to know what to, how to balance and stabilize things. But yet they're bringing in people from completely unrelated work, like the head of NATO. Like, well, how what does he know about central banking? Exactly. So, I mean, the, so the whole thing is a silly con. Yeah, yeah here, it is a con game. It's a con job. Here's my question. Again, this is the question I asked last week. I would love to hear your, your thoughts on this matter. And I was making it at the end of a podcast when I was just on one of my long rants. Alan Watt talked about how these guys are like the, I believe the word he used was time lords, the world planners, the society planners. They're the ones that that creates the world that we all live in. These cartels, you know, these banking cartels, these banking families, that's what they do. Here's my question. Central banks always resort back, like their playbook, at least in my research, they always go back to the same thing. They always go back to war, famines, rationing, hyperinflation, the lot, right? They always go to that whenever they want to fundamentally make a change in an economical structure. My question is this, now that we can see what they're doing, whereas in previous generations, we couldn't. I mean, some people knew, yeah, it was a kind of a niche yeah. thing, but now mm-hmm. it's out there, it's mainstream. We can see because of advantages we have with technology, we can actually mm-hmm. see what these people are doing now in real time. Right. If these people are so smart, if they're so sophisticated, if they're the time lords, if they're the, uh, you know, the, uh, the overlords, whatever you want to call them, if they're so sophisticated, why do they keep doing the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again throughout history? And of course, what Alan Watt would say is because it's the reason for that is because there's a different agenda that I play that they're not telling you about. And of course, the agenda is at play is uh, uh, complete you know, I mean, they have no, they, have, they just don't have the general public's interest at heart at all. In fact, actually, quite the opposite. They really want to harm the general public. That's the reason why I inflation at that time. You know, the lockdown song because they they want to they want austerity. They want you to be on rationing. They want uh, there to be less of you. You know, for eugenical purposes as well. Not just anyone. They want to be less of poor people in particular. And also, there's I mean, there's you could get into race and ethnicities. I mean, Alan Watt had mentioned in the outline of history that H.G. Wells wrote that two volume work. That he they had listed various races, John Stuart Mills as well listed different races that they wanted eliminated, and of course Alan made special mention the Scots and the Irish were one of the two of the races that they wanted to get rid of. 
because they were just allergic to tyranny as the way Alan put it. Like they they're too difficult to deal with. And of course, you know, American Indians, you know, these people were never going to integrate into civilization. They were never going to get a, you know, go to work nine to five and carry on a briefcase and, and check on the stock right. market. You know, right. Indians were never going to adapt to that lifestyle. And so they had to be eliminated or, you know, and you had the scandals with the residential schools in Canada. I think Kevin Annett put out a documentary about that. And you know, there's been other expertise since then. Uh, and now it's sort of mainstream knowledge that these residential schools abuse these Indian children and so on. I mean, really, it's it's a very, I mean, that's it's a very abusive kind of sort of, obviously, it's conspiratorial. And that's not just, a, it's not really just a theory at this point, though, because uh, basically, of all the crashes over the years and the, the, them making the same mistake over and over again, or so, quote unquote, making the same mistake over and over again, and, and having these crashes periodically, you, this is a, you know, this is a deliberate harm. This is uh, intentional being done. And in the sense it's being done, it's not really explained to the public. And when they go out and talk to the public, they just say, well, okay, we, we were trying our best to, you know, stabilize things and, and we're trying our best to, for the public good to do this, this and that. Uh, that's, that's conspiracy because they're just, they're just deliberately deciding to harm the public behind closed doors. Um, but uh, really, I, I probably shouldn't use the word conspiracy so much because like it's a dirty word now. You know, it's been used yeah, to discredit kinda, people. Yeah, we're going to talk so, about some of those next week. Uh, and I, I'm very much looking forward to that. I don't think we're going to talk about too much conspiracies that are taking place on uh, the left wing side of politics. I think we're going to talk about it on the alternative side of politics as in like the alternative right side of politics. And that's uh -huh. going to be that's going to be really interesting. I, I'm really looking forward to that. That does sound interesting. Yeah, because there's so much uh, that you can you could go into uh, that's going on because they have all these especially when COVID, in particular, when, when COVID came out, you had all these doctors come out of all their clashing egos, as Alan put it, you know, all saying, you know, okay, here's, I, this, my information is more important than everyone else's because of this, this, and this, and I have it right and nobody else has it right. Or, you know, my view of, you know, why, you know, society has gone crazy is, is you know, because of mass formation psychosis or whatever is the correct view and, and so on. And it's just really, uh, a lot of it's um, not particularly helpful, I think to really get into and listen to, but like people get, ca get caught up in it because really, you know, the main points that, you know, that were B and I hate to be biased like this, but it, you know, it would be the stuff that I don't want to talk about. The fact that they're going to be on rationing, energy prices are going to go up. You're not going to be able to own anything. You know, the, these main, the depopulation agenda, eugenics agenda, the restriction of freedoms, restriction of movement, the, these main agendas are really the, okay. How exactly, you know, they accomplish this, you know, whether it's uh, through, uh, you know, a vaccine that has, uh, you know, uh, graphene ox graphic side or, or hydra heads in it or whatever, uh, or snake venom, you know, I mean, once you get diverted off into these incredible debates or these incredible, you know, ego clashes, as Alan would say, uh, you're lost. And joining us here in the closing moments is Bruce. Bruce, it's good to see you. How are you today? Physically good. Little, little um, annoyed now. Uh, I was out dealing with the plumber, and we were having uh, uh, issues again. And yeah, the prognosis isn't great, so not not thrilled about that. Would you like to weigh um, in on any of what was just said? Uh, honestly, um, when it comes to we've been talking about it really the the social credit and whatnot is what we call it uh where where basically you own nothing and you're happy about it or the great reset you know whatever name you want to talk or call it um it, it, it's exactly as you said it's tyranny and personally i'm i'm one to i'm i'm gonna resist this as much as i possibly can 
so I'm hoping that people out there are aware of what's going on and what's happening. My my question in all of this, though, is do you guys think the correct action is still local politique? Do you think that's still the the way forward to combat this going forward? Well, certainly in your local area, you definitely might actually have an influence, whereas, you know, state and, and federal level or whatever the equivalents would be in, in other countries. Uh, you know, there's no touch. They're all bought and paid for, definitely. But I would say I would be careful about politics in general. I think uh, I'm generally distrustful, like I said, personally, in my policy is to never vote just because I just, you know, I the political system, you know, okay, maybe it's not a solution, you know, just sort of maybe I'm being a hermit and just sort of shutting myself off from participating. But really, I mean, that's the really my best reaction is that that's the best thing I know. That's just what I know how to do is just okay, cut my participation, not derive my happiness from, you know, climbing up the ladder in the system and, and, and you know, buying all these goods to make me happy because I know that, you know, the economic system is exploitative and, and there's lots of human suffering behind everything. And, and uh, you know, the politicians there are generally in it politics for themselves. They're generally trying to make lots of money. It's not for the public good and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I try to, okay, what can I do to not contribute to this monstrosity? And also, you know, can, you know also help people who certain decisions on their own, like they have to make, like, should I go to university if I have to take the vaccine? And of course, I would tell them immediately, no, university is not worth it. Don't do that. Things like that. So, you know, I'm kind of distraught, but yeah, I will, okay, I will, I, will, I will concede, okay, local politics, you know, there might be someone a little bit more willing to listen and you might be able to get your local council to actually, you know, boot out the sustainability people or whatever. Certainly I know, uh, the behind the green mask lady, what was her name? Rosa Coyer? Rosa Corey. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. I noticed that, I noticed that she, she did have some, you know, a bit of a influence into that sort of thing where, you know, local areas, we need to talk to these town council people. And she had incredible time. She, she tells a story about all the different dirty tricks that they tried to do to get her to shut up and go away. But, uh, you know, definitely on a local level, there's still some, but like I say, I would be very wary of it like because people who go into politics in general, they're, they're, they're well, I'm just no nicer way to put it. They're kind of psychopathic and generally they do it for themselves and to make lots of money to climb up the ladder. In order to climb up the ladder, you have to get, you have to be in the board with sustainability. Otherwise, you're just an alt-right extremist who, uh, conspiracy theorist type person who, um, uh, you know, doesn't believe that, uh, the government's there to help them. You know, which is uh, that in itself, it, it gets you labeled as crazy person. I think at um, least at the, in my opinion, I think at the at the local level, provided that you can, a, as you say, you can keep it as like just a, a local council and you can mm -hmm. participate in that, you have a say in that. Whether you're on a, a board seat or whatever, I think that that becomes a moot point because that's supposed to be, at least in, I'm, I mean, in our traditional sense of things, that's supposed to be a representative form of government. You go down to the local council meeting and you voice your concern to whoever's representing your area, and that person is supposed to fight on your behalf to make sure that those things are done. And if they are not, then you get a petition together and you have their sorry asses thrown out and you get somebody in there who does. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. agree that, yes, it does give you a little bit more of a say as opposed to the state level or the federal level, because let's be honest, they've already compromised everything from the top coming down. Like that's one of the reasons that Rosa Corey wrote that book behind the green mask, UN Agenda 21 in the first place, because it was George Soros policies that were being implemented for sustainability at the United Nations on the local level. It was international policies that were being handed down from upon high down to 
the local politique, infiltrating all of those areas. Why do you think George Soros spends all of his time and all of his money buying off local district attorneys and local sheriffs? Because that's where the power is. That's where it resides. It resides with we the people, yeah. not these people sitting and in these ivory towers. Mm-hmm. And don't forget that according to that defense think tank that Alan read from, the Strategic Trends Program in the UK, they're saying the, the new future is going to be in city states anyways. So like it's going to be the city, the municipal, municipal or municipal. Municipalities, yeah. Like right. this tri-state city they want to build uh, in Level the Netherlands, they, Germany and, and yeah. Belgium. Yeah. That, that actually is going to have the most power. Um, so in the future, that's what's projected. Like they're going to have more and more power over time because society is going to become more and more urban. You hear that all the time from the UN and other sources, academics and so on. They all talk about how urbanized everything is becoming. And But it's uh, In fact, in that... Lord Birkenhead. Your urbanization has failed. Look at look at the cities. They're they're failing mm-hmm. just like areas of just festering crime pits and, and homelessness. Well, like what, what's successful from, about that? You're gonna have more of that? Per, from the perspective of the average Joe, yeah, it is failed. In fact, yeah, I mean the in fact in Canada, and that was that was another thing that was mentioned in that Bricker and Ebertson book, Empty Planet. Is that Canada is technically a failed nation, and they said, "Yeah, we just bring in you know so many you know two hundred fifty thousand to a million immigrants a year, and we uh, we have no national identity, and, and there's there's no real meaning behind being Canadian. It's just sort of a hotel." And all of a sudden, they're saying, "Hotel." Book. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, this is uh, see it's from perspective of like the average Canadian citizen, I'm sure they're like, "Yeah, it's a failure. It's horrible." But of course, in that book, they were they were actually sort of celebrating as a good thing, and they're sort of complaining that people were still there's still resistance to immigration in Canada in some in some aspects. Yeah, and they didn't even mention in that book that 30, 30 40 years ago now, Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's dad, actually well, uh, his pretty well banned his legal or like his you know, legal father, his, his, his legal, legal father. father. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with his family. I just know that he's technically. Trudeau's uh, relation I, of Trudeau, Justin. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. I've give, put it. Do a side by side whenever you get a chance. Do a side by side of Justin Trudeau and Fidel Castro. Okay, and then, then after you do that, go listen to interviews of his mother talking mm-hmm. about Fidel Castro, and then you make up your own mind. Okay, but no, I was going to say, but what Peter Trudeau did with immigration was that he actually prioritized non-white peoples so like people from india and so on in the philippines whereas in the book empty planet they made it out to be that it was just because they needed people with a certain level of education and job skills and they could speak the language and whatever and that's the reason why they were bringing them into canada it's not true um so yeah but, but you, what, what we think is as failed of course the big boys think is a, as a success because they're actually because well they, they want us they want us to fail they want us they want the poor people to die off and so that's, you know, so it is kind of, so you're sort of like, you have to pay attention to which audience they're speaking to or like, you know, who they're, sometimes you don't need to, they just, they, some of them still speak, they never speak as plainly as they do when they are in public because, you know, they, the general public just don't, they just can't believe that the government's not benevolent and, you know, there's, there's just not, in generally speaking, the policies uh, aren't for the public good and so on. Most people can never take that step. But uh, it's still, you know, yet they speak with a forked tongue, you know, and so, like politicians and so on. And it's it gets convoluted. Okay, what's it? What who? What, what is a success and to whom is it a success? And certainly these slums, these overcrowded cities, it's a success. You use that word slums. It's funny. I, I was reading a book uh, from about 100 years ago. 
uh, and it's called Persons in Hiding. Uh, it was written by uh, J. Edgar Hoover, and it was about the gangster era in America. So mm-hmm. John Dillinger and Muggsy Bogues and, and these these types, you know, the, the, the criminal, mm-hmm. Al Capone and all that stuff. Right. And they were talking, or he was talking then about the slums in the cities. And he says, these people, they have no interest whatsoever in ending the slums in these cities because they would literally put themselves out of a job. You think a politician wants to get rid of the slums in the cities? No, those are their votes. That's their constituency. They don't want to get rid of those things. And they don't. They want to exacerbate that problem as much as possible. But on that point, you mentioned about the average person. They they don't want to to, to see this, right? They, They don't want to they don't want to believe it. They talk about how the politicians speak with forked tongues. There's actually a term for that, um, and it's it's used by radical revolutionary communists. It's called a Selpian language, and it's where they speak in normal terms, as in mm-hmm. like we would all pay attention to while they're up on a stage or they're giving an interview somewhere. But what they're doing is they're actually speaking to other people that understand what they're saying. And people, the yeah, Freemasons person, would do that too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the average person just doesn't understand it. Right. And another thing, too, actually, you, I'm glad you brought that up to that point, because I, I really love the book, You Can Trust the Communists, I think by Fred Schwartz, whatever his name is. I think it's Dr. Fred Schwartz, I want to say. He's from Australia. And he uh, wrote this book called You Can Trust the Communists. And one of the things he talks about in the book is what the communists actually mean by certain term- terminology. Of course, it's dated now, but still, right. it's very it's, interesting to go back and look. Yeah. They still yeah. use some of those tactics. Assaulty and no, I'm sure they still take a look at it. It's where I'm, you say no, I'm sure, right? And of course, it means a completely different thing to them than it would mean to the general public. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to uh, you know go through exactly what they mean by love and and humanitarianism and so on. Um, it's just uh, well, uh, the thing is, is that pe- people uh, and I think uh, you know Melissa had mentioned to me uh, last night I should look into Ayn Rand. Because, you know, Ayn Rand was a major influence in sort of the conservative movement, the patriot movement. As far as like libertarians and so on are concerned, they really like this woman, Ayn Rand, who's sort of a philosopher of objectivism, which I haven't really looked into. But, you know, I was thinking on that point, you know, why, okay, we like limited, you know, you know, or like the, in the U.S., you know, we're, we're a limited government, or at least we used to be, or at least ideally we're supposed to be. And, you know, why that, why we we had gone so astray and, you know, that sort of thing. And I was thinking, you know, uh, really, if, if out of enlightened self-interest, if you go by the Enlightenment philosophers and you just have a government that just protects people's individual rights and their property rights mainly is the main, so almost the sole function of government. If you go by that, almost naturally, the top capitalists are going to want to bring in socialism because it's in their self-interest to do so. And also, on top of that, you have the people in the slums, the lower classes, they also are going to want socialism because they want to have that system where you just pay in a small percentage of your income or whatever and get a service like a healthcare or a education or what have you. And so there's always going to be popular support for that sort of policy. And so they sort of work together. And of course, the, the, the thing is, is the top capitalists, they have completely different ideas for like, for, for example, education. They have uh, social engineering sorts of ideas and they want to get rid of, and of course, in modern era, of course, initially when public education started up, it was all to get you into nationalism and how to be American and so on. And then, of course, now it's to get rid of nationalism, to get rid of ideas about God and, and, and your country and so on. And now it's so because these top capitalists, they want the socialism because they want an ordered, predictable society because they have tons of money, they have tons of property and they want to keep control. And they want so they want and they also want you have to you know, get into politics and you got to buy off politicians and keep keep power, this sort of thing. And I think without um, 
and Melissa made this point. She said, without the sort of religious type, uh, uh, maybe like what Jesus taught in the New Testament, you know, sort of morality uh, that every that's almost universally followed, you can't really keep it for long. Uh, a sort of limited government type idea, a libertarian type idea, going pr functioning properly because, like I said, you know, the top capitalist, you know, who rise to the top, they always push for socialism, or they always put for or some sort of technocratic, you know, big government or tyranny type idea, and. Uh, it's just human nature, the fallen nature, the psychopathic nature, how you want to put it. And I think uh, this is, uh, you know, a problem of humanity that, uh, you know, I think we, we sort of put it on. Okay, I guess what my message, well, my point where I'm going here is that uh, we sort of put on our shoulders that we got to fix the problems of society. We have to fix, you know, our, our country or we have to fix, you know, the world or something. Really, I think the most important thing you can do if you really want to fix, if you really care about our people, if you really want to fix the world and so on, is just you got you to just focus on improving yourself. That's really what, the material in your mind. That's what you have to work with in your own actions. That's what you have to work with. You can't, I mean, if you if you take on that burden of, you know, fixing your, your city or your country or whatever, it, it becomes unbearable because there's so much corruption. There's so much the psychopaths and, and these, these shenanigans going on that you just, you just crushed under this burden of, you know, okay, how do I, what, what how do I counter all of this? You know, it's just coming at you overwhelming uh, this agenda and this eugenics. And you know, that's what, you know, that's another thing. Like when they bring in healthcare, you know, they tell you, you know, to treat illnesses and so on. It's really for eugenical purposes. So of course, that's the reason why they're writing in abortion and euthanasia and so on. That is one of the one of the things you mentioned there. Having the kind of a homogenous thought, uh, yeah. and, and to to succeed with uh, kind of the American idea, if you will. Mm -hmm. that, that's literally what the founders said. Yeah, that was John Adams. A, yeah, a, a, yeah. You have to have a just moral people to have this. Like so, basically, what what they the founders said is you have to have a Christian populace. Uh, or a Christian mindsetted populace to continue on with this to to properly run it, and we haven't had that for geez uh, quite a long time. And in fact, um, as as the uh, resident theologian, um, I would point out that much of our politicians will claim to be Christians, but then the the positions they take. Let's take our president for for um, an, an extreme example. He's Catholic. Catholics mm -hmm. are strongly against. Uh, abortion. Yet he's totally for it. And in fact, he's, he's done marriage, interviews. Yeah. yeah, same sex marriage. He's done interviews where he's saying uh, he's for gender affirming care for minors. For those that are unaware what gender affirming care is, that's where they uh, lop off the breasts of young girls and chemically castrate uh, males. Uh, that 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 is what gender affirming care is. And he says he's for it. This is this is completely against biblical teaching. So we, we, we have these politicians in that are claiming to be Christians, and yet none of those morals are uh, governing the, the, the way they uh, politic. Melissa tells me that even Kim Kardashian claims to be a Christian these days. Oh, boy. And <laughs> she was know, saying so does Vladimir Putin. Yeah, so does Vladimir Putin. You know, yeah. I, I, um, I like what you said there about taking on, well, not taking on rather, the, the problems of the world or your state or your town or, or whatever, because it just becomes so overwhelming. I'm guilty as charged, quite frankly, because when you first start to understand and, and discover what it is about all of this multifaceted agenda that we started with tonight, it becomes very overwhelming. And in the process of that, it's it's so difficult to try and, and navigate through that and really focus on yourself. And that's exactly what it has to be. That's exactly it. It's got to be you making yourself a better person. That's what's going to fix this. We've been saying that since day one here. 
It's got to be the individual, as in you taking care of yourself. We need good-hearted, smart-minded, free thinkers that are principled people on the other side of this thing, if we have any hope of wanting to build any kind of a prosperous future for ourselves. And that's what it's going to take. I don't know what people's uh, religions are or what denomination or whatever. It's none of my concern. But we've got to have a society that's based on moral, just values, or we don't have a society. And we're not going to make it very far, as you said, as both of you said. Mm -hmm. So it's got to be that way. Benjamin Franklin, I believe, is who said, by making yourself better, the world is a better place. Be not afraid of moving too fast. Be afraid of standing still. The person that moves too fast is is always doing something. The person that stands still, well, you're doing nothing. And you don't want to be the person that's doing nothing. So you know, I'm kind yeah, of silence is that consent. last part. Yeah. 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 It's, that's what it is. You know, and I, I like to reference uh, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said as well. He said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Weston, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this evening. Uh, we are going to have to call it quits. We will see you. And I believe Melissa will be joining us next week with you. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. That's going to be a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope the uh, the listeners are as well. Again, Weston from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to go over there and give their website a look because the work that they do is... Like it's, it, I can't even put a price on the work that you guys do because I think it's so invaluable for people to have that knowledge now and going forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, I really, I really do appreciate all the work you guys do over there, and I hope our listeners do as well. So I encourage people to check that out. Weston, we will see you and Melissa next week. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. You know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. It's been a pleasure as always, gentlemen. Thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening.